0: Well, good morning. How are you? (laughs) Good. Well, uh, I want to uh, just say thank you, whether you're online or in person, and just say thank you that I'm thank you to you. I'm grateful that you're here this morning. Uh, Kathy and I do want to thank you for your prayers while we were away. We had a great trip, and we could feel those prayers and uh, sense God's Spirit with us. Over the next few weeks, I want to remind us and root us in what we believe are foundational elements of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Being a people who live and love uh, in the present, where you're at and how you do that. A few years ago, our leadership, after a long process of prayer and discernment, came across this simple uh, saying uh, and it 's simple to say, but harder to do in mission, and that is that we are a people who love God, love all people, and follow Jesus together. Uh, now, you may have seen it in full or in pla- different places uh, around our building or on some correspondence that comes to you. Uh, one way we connect uh, one way we connect this mission to you is communally. We spend a few weeks. Uh, Throughout the year, directly speaking into the mission that we believe uh, or I believe that speaks to us in these moments. And so, and they shape us and help us to on-road and on-ramp uh, to what Jesus is calling us to. In January, we spent, and we always spend, 21 days of prayer and fasting seeking God, and that is our, and wrapped around that is our, our, our desire to love God emphasis. We uh, bring in those things that help to cultivate that intimacy, whether it is individually or communally, and we lean into that and ask that you follow us into that process and in March we uh, took what it means to love all people, had a few seminars and had a message on, on that weekend to help us along but today we're going to take a, a, a few moments uh, next three Sundays uh, to look at what it means to follow Jesus together Specifically today, though, I want, to be, I, want, I want to be wrapping in this love God, love all people into our message so that when we on-ramp to the idea and concept of vocation uh, next week, which many of us uh, may kind of struggle with in these days, uh, we may be wondering what that looks like for us and how we should do that. I, I want us to be able to have this backdrop to be able to walk into it. So if you would, we're going to do a little calisthenics this morning. If you would stand for the reading uh, of God's word, if you can, we ask that you do that. It's found in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 36. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples... He said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Maybe you know this, and maybe it's not new to you, but you may realize that we all follow someone or something. We all follow something or someone. Uh, I remember when I was uh, a preteen, my course uh, was to follow a certain set of ideals. It really kind of wrapped itself around following wherever the dollar went. I mean, I saw people around me who had nice cars, nice clothes, uh, the things that I wanted, and I began to wrap myself around some of those ideas. I began to dress like those people that I thought were up and coming. I began to speak like them. I began to treat other people exactly the same way that they were treating other people. Uh, Not healthy, by the way, uh, when you think that uh, the bottom line is a dollar, it's very unhealthy. I don't know. Maybe you did too. Maybe you were, uh, during those days, uh, there may be a few of you in here, I don't know, that you were into goth during that time. So you started dressing in black and black fingernails and all that kind of stuff. And and, and it, I get it. It's still around, right? Uh, all those type of things. I mean, we all follow and are formed by something. We 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 collectively... Uh, we, we do this. Even my daughter, who is a four, my youngest daughter is a four on the Enneagram, and if you know anything about the Enneagram, they want to be individualist. And I tell her all the time, every time you create, uh, uh, she's less into that right now, but every time you think that you're not like anybody else, you're like somebody else. All the time, over and over again. And we all have this tribe that we tend to follow. Uh, if in in different things and so this idea that everyone is a disciple of someone or something shouldn't be new to us but I think we have to have it spelled out that we are that whatever you follow whatever it becomes what whatever you follow is what forms who you are how you behave how you look how you dress all of those things those that, are, that follow Jesus were called his disciples, and we may know that. Yet think about it. Whether we follow Jesus or another something, we are a disciple. And yes, I am repeating it because sometimes I think we forget this. We are formed by what we do and who we follow. Whether we have chosen it intentionally or unintentionally, we are being discipled. The life around us is forming us into whatever we're following. Jesus walked around the earth for 33 years, and his primary invitation to this whole idea of discipleship was not listen to me. Now think about this. It wasn't listen to me or consider my teaching. It wasn't even believe in me. It was follow me. He said this to two groups of to, two groups of brothers of fishermen. He said, follow me. To a tax collector uh, punching the clock for the empire at the time, he said, follow me. To a demonized prostitute, he said, follow me. A respected priest uh, that met up with him at midnight. What did he say? He said, follow me. A man making funeral arrangements for his. For his father, he said, follow me. A wealthy young success story that was about to break. What did he say? He said, oh, leave everything you have and follow me. Uh, This message is just replete throughout the New Testament. It's this invitation to follow. And we often call this, uh, this invitation by Jesus, as we've already said, discipleship. And we tend to use this uh, word in the church, if you've been a part of the church, we use it as a verb, a, a, a descriptor. Are you being uh, discipled? Uh, not a descriptor, but a verb. Are you being discipled or are you discipling someone? And oftentimes when we, meet, when we say that, we're talking about are you meeting up with somebody at a fancy coffee shop and talking about a book study? Yet if we really read the Gospels as Jesus has has given him to him, given us to him. that's not what he's inviting us to follow him in. Is he? It's not that. It's, it's not how discipleship is defined biblically. Uh, it is the way we have interpreted and defined what discipleship looks like. So historically, disciple is a noun, not a verb. It wasn't an activity you do or a class to take. It wasn't an identity you took on and who you are. And people committed their whole lives to living themselves around this Jesus, this rabbi's life. They listened to his teaching. They considered his ideas, but they simply and most profoundly followed him in everything he did. And so, when we think about this idea of following Jesus together, or even literally individually following Jesus, we have to consider what we have created around this idea of discipleship. What we mean by it, over against contrasting often, maybe too often, what the Bible says. Because when Jesus invited his disciples to follow him, they went where the rabbi went. They slept where the rabbi slept. They lived, and their aim was to take on the whole person's discipleship. We've said it before. Really, their desire was to get dusty with the dirt of the sandals rabbi and just have it cake them because then they had proximity to the rabbi, to Jesus, the Messiah, that they were following. This is the way they were to live. In our way of thinking, the closest word to this idea of follower, we use the word follower. Is the idea of apprentice? Is the idea of an apprentice to learn a trade and to, to is to sit and to talk and to learn, but to to do a trade, you actually have to get yourself uh, involved in it. Uh, for instance, if you were apprenticing apprenticing under a farmer, the farmer would not let you sit in an office to figure out whether apples needed to be picked or not. You actually had to be in the field, in the orchard, in the process of getting your hands dirty to understand what it meant to to plant, to to pick, uh, to actually do the whole work. Not only the planting and picking, but learning how to repair uh, repair machinery. I remember with my dad, uh, this is kind of my story for the first 25 years of my life, give or take, uh, was that I, I had to learn what he did. People would ask, what, what do you do for your, for your family's business? And I'm like, well, it's kind of hard to explain. But the word apprentice probably comes as close as any word that I have because I had to do what my dad asked me to. Other people who are not as close to the owner if you will, could clock out, kind of go. Yeah, I'm not doing that today. I'm out, right? But I couldn't. And I remember one time when my dad said, "Oh, you're going to learn how to train, change the oil on the on the truck." Now the truck is, uh, it's not a semi, but it's it's pretty close. And I crawled under there, and he said, "Just just loosen the oil, uh, the oil cap up," and and he didn't he didn't really kind of forewarn me how this was going to pour out. And I I came out, you know, just caked in oil. When you're an apprentice, you get yourself dirty, you learn what it is to, well, to make mistakes and to learn to do it right. That's what an apprentice does. These disciples of Jesus definitely sat with him as he taught, but he also made them participants in the work that he had been doing, and he wanted to pass along this, as we know from the, Well, the end of Matthew, this commissioning, this direct commissioning. He wanted them to go and not just be a disciple, the identity of of those he followed, but he called them to make disciples too and to follow in that way. In our time and place, it might sound like this. Uh, Practicing the way of Jesus by loving God, loving all people, and following Jesus together. See, this was the... This first century group of people, they were a motley crew, and they would follow around. But for us, that may be our call today. That's what we're about here. That's what we will be about as long as I'm here. And it is the foundation of the house in which we've been called to live in and to be a community of participants in. And so today, I want to, as we have been leaning into, I want us to consider what that looks like uh, again, reroute and remind and maybe refresh us, and for some of you that are new, to kind of on-ramp you to what we're about here. So what does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love God? Could it very well be that at the core of loving God is that same invitation that Jesus had to his disciples, follow me. Uh, follow me, right? When Jesus went up on in Mark 3, verses 13 to 15, it says this. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came, and he appointed 12 that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach and have authority and drive out demons. He, he, Jesus, is going to tell them everything he knows and what's important to them. He's going to send them out with the authority to do the things that they've seen him doing, but first he calls them that they might be with him. With is a powerful, powerful word. It communicates a ton to the human heart, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. When we're celebrating like a wedding or a retirement, or a birthday, we want, to, we want those that we've invited to be with us. Why? Because they can't experience it without being with us in that process. And oftentimes, I know this to be true of myself, whether it's true of you, those places and spaces where you invited people to be with you, and we all have our schedules, And you realize that those those have chosen not to be with you. You realize that they're missing out on something that is important to you in that process. We want them to be with us. At the same time, those who, when we're grieving, we often look, and I've heard many families say, well, I didn't see so-and-so at the funeral. I didn't see them at the visitation. I didn't hear from them. There is this heart longing that we have to be with others. It's the relational connection that God built into us from the very beginning for and with one another. It's to be there. And so Jesus has this invitation, right? He has this invitation to be for them to be with him. It's a depth of humanity that we sometimes can't really even grasp, but we realize it in the moment when they're there. And Jesus knew this about them. He knew this about us, and he knows this about our relationship, one with him. To love God is to be with him. Thus, you know, in our early parts of our year, we spend time looking at how can we be with God intentionally again this year? Uh, Prayer and fasting, silence and solitude. How can we be with him? Our created spaces that are maybe different than the Sabbath we take together on this day, but other days, we create those spaces for him to be. To be a follower of Jesus means that at some point in your story, this happened to you. You accepted the invitation. You accepted the invitation to be with God. And you were, you were then with him. And he recreated the very identity you have. In that invitation to be with him and for him. And you came in your nakedness and your shame and your guilt, the very things that we sang about that he's able to take in our brokenness, and you came in all of that, and you realized by his invitation that he does something incredible. He closed us, he changes us. It's been 37 years for me. Uh, let's put it in days, 13,050 days for me that this happened, this cumulative effect of the journey with Jesus has been there. And can I tell you that I would not trade it for anything? I wouldn't trade it for anything. The highs and the lows, because there's nothing, there is absolutely nothing like being with Jesus. As you know, I was away for a few days and I was able to reenter spaces and places to be with Jesus that I had not been able to. I had foregone. And he wishes to do that for you. In fact, maybe if we pick up on a few of the parables, he desires, maybe it's time for you to, uh, you know, sell everything you have and buy the field again. Right? He is the great pearl, and the treasure is hiding in the field for you. In John 1, the disciples see Jesus for the first time, and you kind of wonder how all this plays out this idea of being with Jesus. They see him for the first time, and they ask him, where are you staying? But if you look at that passage of Scripture a little bit closely, you can actually see it's really uh, this terminology. It's like, where are you going to be, and can we be with you? This idea in John 15 is repeated, as Jesus says, with the words of authority, assurance and if you look at them closely and you look them with new eyes it's odd there's an audacity that if you remain in me i will remain in you wow the idea of being with is powerful this assurance to this the disciples and maybe to us today that we needed here is what we've come to relish about jesus that like no other god No other religious uh, sect on this planet has a God like this who says, I want to be with you. It is always the other way around with every other religious sect on the planet Earth. It is more about chasing after God, but he, he has chased after us. He wants to be with us. And you know why we know that's true? If no other place, in Matthew 28, 20, he says to this, and be sure of you to his disciples in that place and space on that mountainside before he ascends to heaven, but also to us. He says, be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The disciples had come to realize and recognize, and Jesus knew this, that they had come to rely on his withness, if you will. Oh, to love God in a place and space where prayer, re- we realize and recognize, it's not about getting something, right? But prayer becomes this place where we commune intimately with the Father. We sit for long periods of times as if we were sitting with the one we love and looking into their eyes. Oh, that's what it means to be with God. See, the odyssey of Jesus, like no other, is to remain with and chase after us with this love that is undeniably crazy. Thank you, Francis Chan. Right? I mean, it's undeniably crazy. Jesus' commitment will, to us always will always outrun our commitment to him. Always, always, always. Think about it. Always outrun it. We need to let this truth sink deep. Why? Well, one, it's truth. But two, because the world in which we live, we will be buffeted on a regular basis about this very truth. We don't have to get too far into the Hebrew scriptures to find this to be true, right? I mean, Adam and Eve are questioned. (laughs) Huh, really? Is it going to be faith? I mean, really? Our enemies are and are in the enemies play a great ploy, ploy in your life, excuse me, and will always be there to convince you that you must earn what you've already been given or hide away in the very shame that you've already been freed from. Either one. Of those will stop you in the this, this discipleship journey, this following Jesus. Jesus prays for you, and he prays for me. On the last night, uh, and on this same night of John 15, he prays this in John 17 that we would be one as he is one that we would be united with him and connected to him, with him. I need to repeat this. Jesus, this is so important and so true. The 13,050 days of my living with Jesus tells me that nothing matters more nothing than having his presence with me and following him wherever he may lead in my life again just to reiterate it, as the parable states maybe it's today that you need to sell everything you've got and buy this field because the treasure is worth more than you could ever imagine but the you have to know that there are unintended consequences to buying the field, selling everything you have. Every great offer comes with the unintended consequences, right? Uh, Some of us have iPhones. The iPhone works great. Call our moms, our dads, our kids, or connect with them. May even, for you, help you to buy uh, buy, uh, coffee, at a coffee shop or pay for things but what happens what happens when the battery is drained right that's the unintended consequences of resting in this the unintended consequences of loving and living with jesus that he sticks us with others jesus is 12 closest disciples were the relational bridge to every socioeconomic, ideological, and political line that existed in the day. They were, they were the blue-collar workers, tax collectors, the zealots into the same inner circle that, is, that, 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 that we count as beautiful. But the radical diversity of that group is just uh, challenging, to say the least, right? I mean... The amount of tension around the table with Jesus the rabbi and these other 12, right, had to have been incredible. But it reminds us that a solo spiritual journey is a modern invention and there are... It's just a modern invention. So when we have this idea that we can just take our Christianity, our following of Jesus and our Bible and go off on our own and listen to our own set of music, and it's about and it's living this calm and peaceful life, Jesus doesn't show us that. In fact, that's why we have to look at the Gospels over and over and over again about what discipleship really, really looks like because it doesn't look anything like what we've created to be. You know, we love our ambient music in the background that calms us and a cup of coffee in the morning. I mean, nothing's wrong with those things, but that's not discipleship, according to the Jesus way of doing things. It's about loving and living with others. And this loving and living with others, can we be honest with one another? I was a few weeks ago. Maybe it shocked a few of you. You know, because I said, ah, there's some Sundays. <laughs> you know, I'm here, right? Right? But there are some in this circle we call the community of faith that Jesus is invited to our table that maybe we wouldn't sit with, right? They wouldn't be invited if you were doing the inviting. But Jesus invites them to the table, and that's the honesty, right? Just as those 12 that were sitting around the table, we probably wouldn't do that with them. Jesus is our rabbi, and we follow him. And why do we do this? Let's ask this question. When was the first time God said it's not good? That it wasn't good? Sometimes we kind of go, oh, that must have been post, uh, you know, Genesis chapter three, right? After sin, but it wasn't before that. It was before that when he had made man and he said, it is not good that man be alone, right? This idea of relationships is not something that is, uh, you know, past or post the Garden of Eden, it was really inside of it, this idea of relationships with one another. And it's not just this, this identification of marriage to be the goal. It was really this idea of marrying one to another, this relationship that we we're supposed to have with each other. It's rather interesting, right? Because as we've said and as we've reinforced, we're, it is not a perfect community. But, we're, but we need one another And what if it, what if this, if we desperately need community and God places us in a certain place at a certain time and it's not the place we would have handpicked. It's not the place we would have put ourselves. But God puts us in that place with community with others because it becomes this vehicle of how he forms us more into his likeness. You see, we're buffeting on the, on the edge of what this culture says. No, 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 everything has to be cool and calm and collected for you. But maybe he places us in the places we are in order to become more like him, less about our ideals. What's interesting is I think sometimes when we're put in those places, as it has been with me, and maybe you're feeling this this morning. You've, you've sat in the periphery. You've been a part of the community in some way, shape, or form here at Ipsy Free. But it's more on the outside because it's just more comfortable there. But because you've been on the outside and you've been experiencing a little bit of what's happening amongst us and within us in the community and what God's doing. There's a sense of, sense of comfort, if you will. Let's use another word. A sense of healing it has been transpiring in you. But there's been something, maybe something limiting you to take a further step in. Because it's a risk. It's a risk exactly what we've talked about. It's a risk because 12 people that Jesus pulled around the table were not alike. It's a risk because people we don't know or have not fully invested in, we don't know them well. But I believe that God does that often as he has done it for me. He placed me in a group of people where I don't know anyone or I am unsure about what this is all going to be about. And he places me there. And all of a sudden I sense this, 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 this healing presence. And as I step in further, there's even more and more healing, even in the midst of, well, diversity, of change, of difference. Maybe he's doing that to you. And if that's the case, I would just encourage you to take that connect card that we talked about earlier and go, okay, I'm, I'm gonna take the next step in. I, I'm, I'm gonna risk because risk is worth it in this case. Be, to be without Jesus and to not be with him and where he's heading would, well, it's, it's not the right way. We're also called to love all people, and this is really what we've been talking about. This idea of loving all people is not easy. It's not just to get them saved. It is actually to live in community with them in a way that allows the, the forming relationships to move around. Jesus tells us in, in Matthew, it's not Matthew 28, 28, sorry about that, but he tells us in Matthew 23 that we're to love, all, love your neighbor as yourself. We're to love your, our neighbor as ourself. And if that's our call, after we love God and we love spending time with God because there, we realize and recognize that as we journey with Jesus longer and more days, we realize there's nothing like spending time with Jesus and being with Jesus. But then he calls us into this place and space as it was the first church, into this place and space of community, of great diversity, but this great working of God's hand of love and what it looks like. This idea of this life of living and loving was not meant for those who we would handpick. But for whoever would be our neighbor, whoever would move in next to us or wherever we would move next, our love is to take the very form that Jesus did and does for the whole world, to love them where they're at. Again, I apologize Matthew 28, 28 is not where you're gonna find this next verse. It says, a new command I give you to love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is our work. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is probably one of the toughest pieces of work to do in our lives, to form ourselves like Jesus, to, to see people as Jesus would want us to see, as the Father sees and as the Spirit would connect us. I love what Second Peter. This is from Second Peter. Says at the beginning of this uh, beginning of this section, he says, "For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Make every effort to add to your faith." I, I I think that we have this idea potentially, or we can succumb to this idea that anything we do in life should be easy. That it should come naturally. But I think what Peter's trying to tell us and tell them is that this idea of living out your faith and this idea of loving others as we want to be, as we love ourselves, and we want to be loved, let's just put it that way, has to be seen and lived out. And it has to take work on our behalf. It is the forming of the community around us that helps us to see and attain that. A few weeks ago, we talked about this idea of training versus trying. I don't want to go into it. You can listen to that message uh, at another point a few weeks back. But this idea of training versus trying fits in here because oftentimes we want, to, we want to try to do better in our spiritual lives. We want to try to do better in loving other people, but really it's about training ourselves to be in the right places, right spaces, to be able to do that in a way that honors God. And As we love God and love all people, he asks us to step into this. And so this idea of, cycle of the, the cycle of spiritual maturity is, is really kind of another way of what we said a few weeks ago, but I wanted to bring it to you. It's this idea that when we read scripture, when we, when we spend time loving God, when we're with him and we're intimately and individually playing that out, maybe even communally playing out, we see practices that he has for us. And we then, number two, we take those practices and put them into play. Uh, this may be any revelation that I see from God that he's speaking to me personally or that he's putting on before us corporately. That may be anything from, you know, uh, my, um, you know my personal uh, need to, by God's desire, is to put more time working out so my body is more like what he desires over against and including, you know, what it means to Sabbath and pray and all of those things. And when we do that over a course of time and we tend to think this is going to be instantaneous and we want it to happen overnight. When we do that over a course of time God does bless this cycle of maturity because it's a rhythm of training ourselves into his godliness but it may not happen right away. But how do we then live out this idea of loving all people? How do we do that? Because we've Admitted that it 's not easy in fact, sometimes it 's happening in our own house or our own households that we realize that the loving is very, very difficult. How do we do that? Well, Jesus did it uh, with the love of the love of Jesus, but this love of Jesus is supernatural it 's spirit infused One could easily argue that up until uh, the baptism and if you remember the baptism of Jesus that there was this uh, this lighting of the holy spirit on jesus that up until that point jesus could have not have done anything he had done post that time after that point that he needed the holy spirit and if that's the case then we do too in fact before he left and he had come back uh, to before he ascended into heaven and he had come back after he was resurrected what did he do to his followers he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. Why did he breathe on them the Holy Spirit? Because they needed the Holy Spirit in order to do what he was asking them to do. And it is the very same thing for us that we need to have this supernatural infilling. We are a supernatural people. We have a realm that we don't live in or that we are not, uh, we, we don't live in here but is part of our lives that we become, becomes a part of us. And if that's the case, if he desires us to live that way, just as Teresa of Avila says, that we are to be his body. Christ has no body but yours. Go out and be Christ's body of the world. That we are called to be his body in the world. Why is it that we take on uh, opportunities like Estherbrook or Community Meal, Story, partnering with Aidan Milan? Why do we do that? Because we realize as a people of God we're to to come alongside those and remind people of the love of Jesus to to clearly declare to them as we love God, as we're with God and that we love all people that, that we are his body. We are an extension of who he is. And the incredible thing is that while that's all good, that's not the greatest part of what Jesus gave to us. I mean, this idea of love is is supernatural love. His healings, his teachings, those were all good. And those, he says, that we will do. And we have participants. We have the ability to pray into those places and spaces. But the incredible thing is the suffering love of Jesus. is the suffering, self-giving love of Jesus. What makes him distinctly different and us distinctly different is that he showed us the path, what it means to lay down our lives for others. He went to the cross. He calls us to lay down our lives exactly the same way. So as we follow Jesus, we're called to love him. We're called to, to, to be in this relationship that is not just cursory to our lives, but this deep relationship as you have maybe a relationship with a spouse or a deep friend. You're to have this relationship that's cultivated through spiritual practices of training who we are and then we out of that we are to love all people as followers of Jesus so at this point let me ask a question as a follower of Jesus can I love like Jesus as you're thinking about it for yourself can I love like Jesus loves when we meet the end of our days, when we not just lay our pedal, head on the pillow at the end of today, but it's a good start, but at the end of our lives and we look back over it, what can we say will matter? Can I just tell you there will only be one thing matter, and it's how you've loved. It's not what you have built, what you've created, what you've done. It's how you have loved. I believe that as we have talked about historically here, and I'm bringing it back, that we are a people that are to be able to create a table where others can come and taste and see that the Lord is good. We do that with our families and our homes. We do that in our city. We do that, as we said, through our schools. The list goes on. That we are a people that are compelled by a supernatural love, this sacrificial love that means that we give up what we want for somebody else's greater gain in the kingdom. That we are to be about that. That we set tables of opportunity wherever we go. I, I think when we frame our day's in this way, that we're able to keep in mind that when I'm at work, what am I doing? When I'm waiting in line to pick up my kids uh, or I'm in conversation at the school, that I'm able to love, as he's called us, to love. We continue to reframe and allow ourselves to be formed not only by this with Jesus individually, but this idea of with others, community, loving all people inside the community that we're a part of. And that's what he calls us to. This is the call on our lives. This is what we set out a few years ago as a leadership team, as a church, to kind of say, what does it mean to love God, to love all people, to follow Jesus together as a community? This is what we're called to. Because the ultimate end is exactly what Jesus has said it will be. They will know us by our love. So as we take on the next steps, everyone is a disciple of someone or something. Everyone is a disciple of someone or something. What or who are you a disciple of this morning? What or who are you a disciple of this morning? Is Jesus forming you? Is the community of faith in which he's Placed you? Are you a participant in allowing it to be formed, uh, allowing Jesus to form you through it? I would have you consider that this morning. This morning, we have this wonderful opportunity, as you might see, we don't usually have a bathtub sitting in our, um, in our sanctuary. But this morning, we have a couple of young young men who have decidedly said that they are following Jesus, that they want to be formed by Him. What about you this morning? Do you want to be formed by by the rabbi who says, Follow me? Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for the reminder and the continual challenge that it is to my own life. That, Father, you call me to follow you into deeper ways, uh, sacrificial ways, maybe, of what it means to love you. What it means to have rhythms and patterns that allow... that allow our relationship to go deeper. Father, I feel that and sense that you are saying the same to others, that there's rhythms and patterns that you wish for them to follow, prayer and Sabbath, reading. And sometimes it's just just being, just setting with you. Father, you have given us this this idea of being with God, um, being with Jesus, but also to be with one another and the opportunity that it takes to form us into your likeness so that we can follow you into the very world in which you've called us. Lord, would you continue? Would you continue to minister your spirit in this space and place? Maybe this morning you are an individual who has yet to, to say yes to Jesus. You realize that Everything else around you is forming you. And maybe it's everything else but nothing. But you realize following Jesus intentionally is what you need to do this morning. If that is you, I invite you to say this prayer or your prayer to him, just saying, "Lord, I I come. I'm yours. I wish to follow." But if you wish to use this prayer, You pray it with me and after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy, grace, and love found in and through Jesus. Save me and forgive me for my sins. I give you my life and choose to follow love and live for you. In Jesus' name.